With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Hi, this is Stephen Nill, CEO of CharityChannel.com. So, you want your charity to succeed. You came to the right place. Integration of online and offline techniques is the key to your successful fundraising, and practical advice on going green is what you need. With this show, The Nonprofit Coach with Ted Hart, you will learn from experts around the world who provide advice you can use. Our host is Ted Hart, one of the foremost nonprofit thought leaders. This year, he is celebrating 25 years in the nonprofit sector and the 10-year anniversary of his firm, TedHart.com. His books range from successful online fundraising to the use of social media and how to make your nonprofit green. His guests are leaders in their field who will share tips and trade secrets for nonprofit management, green strategy, and fundraising success. Ted lectures around the world, but now he's here for you. From the latest in charity news, technology, fundraising, and social networking, here's Ted. And good afternoon. Today is uh, Tuesday, May 17th. You are live with the Nonprofit Coach. This is Ted Hart, your host. I want to start off with uh, kind thoughts, prayers, and uh, uh, thoughts for those who are suffering from uh, all the floods throughout the country. Uh, That's uh, mindful to me today here in the Washington, D.C. area. Uh, We are scheduled to have very strong storms today and lots and lots of rain, and I know that will not even come close to comparing uh, to the floods that so many people in the middle of our country uh, are dealing with right now. I've been in contact with several nonprofit organizations uh, who have been keeping me apprised of how they are doing. Thankfully, uh, all the groups that we work with uh, are doing well right now, but there are lots of concerns for lots of people. So uh, please keep uh, all the fine people who are struggling with uh, all of the rain and all the floods uh, foremost in your mind. Uh, Again, this is the Nonprofit Coach with Ted Hart. Uh, As always, you can call in to the show at 347-324-3080. Make sure that you press the number one uh, so that I know in the switchboard uh, that you would like to ask a question of our page two expert. When we get to page two today, we have Chris Cannon. Chris Cannon will be joining us on the show today. Uh, He is the author of an executive's guide to fundraising operations. So this is a very key show today about how you can be efficient and effective and understand what are the business practices that you need to be following for success within your organization. As always here on the Nonprofit Coach, you can also join us over in the chat room. I see folks arriving uh, over in the chat room, and you can always email me during the show at tedhart at tedhart.com. But those of you who are familiar with the Nonprofit Coach radio show, as always, you know we start the show off with page one news.
And uh, this is uh, Ted Hart here back on page one. And for page one news today, uh, we do have from the IRS uh, confirmation of audits of advocacy group donors. I think this is important for nonprofit organizations who are involved uh, with advocacy to understand uh, that uh, there is a little-known provision, rarely invoked provision, of the IRX tax code uh, that for those making gifts of more than $13,000 to advocacy groups are subject to gift taxes of up to 35%. Uh, in its work plan for 2011, the IRS uh, did note that it planned to step up enforcement of these rules. So it's important that we understand the rules that we are under. Such organizations that are classified under 501c4 IRS uh, tax code designations spent millions of dollars on political ads. And I do think it's important uh, in that 2010 election cycle what we saw uh, is uh, a big uptick in, uh, in political use, I believe, of nonprofit organizations. And I don't always in, uh, consider that to be uh, a healthy thing, whether you're on the left or the right or blue or red or whatever. Uh, I don't think that nonprofit organizations should be the volleyball of the political sector. The next uh, story that we have here on the nonprofit coach, and I'm not sure that this is completely unrelated. Uh, is that uh, the Koch brothers, the Charles G. Koch Foundation, uh, over in the Chronicle Philanthropy, uh, has uh, announced that they have made a $1.5 million grant to Florida State University. The concern here is that the university granted them influence over faculty hiring in consideration of that gift. Uh, well, this is, a, this is a big concern. Now, the university president says, well, not any undue influence on uh, on hiring. But again, I think uh, certainly uh, those of you who follow political sectors know that uh, the Koch brothers are heavily uh, involved uh, with conservative politics, very much looking to use their money in whatever way they can to influence policy. Uh, and here, just like the first story on the nonprofit coach today, uh, we're seeing, again, influence in the nonprofit sector of a political nature, and this was specifically uh, to influence the hiring of economics faculty uh, at the Tallahassee campus uh, of Florida State University. So read all about uh, these radio links and all of our radio links today over at tedhart.com. Click on radio links. You'll be able to follow along with all of our radio links here today. Next up here on the Nonprofit Coach, again, uh, another story here uh, from the, uh, from the, the uh, Nonprofit, uh, the Chronicle of Philanthropy. Uh, at the Chronicle of Philanthropy, uh, they are reporting and wondering, sort of musing, whether or not uh, robots are the future of fundraising. Now, before you start getting concerned about your job, uh, and concerned about whether or not uh, you're going to uh, uh, be replaced with a robot. Uh, I don't think so, not necessarily, not, not right away anyway, um, but I do think that, uh, that what is uh, happening here, and this is sort of an interesting story that uh, Nicole Wallace has written uh, regarding the use of uh, a computer robot uh, that was designed by a student at the University of Dundee in Scotland, uh, where this little robot uh, maneuvers around and uh, can't, uh, it doesn't move until it gets money put into it. So uh, it's more of sort of a fun game sort of thing, uh, and uh, and that's uh, that's what they're uh, 
uh, they're using over in Scotland, and it's being used in a couple of different areas. There's a nice video uh, over, and it's called Donator, uh, Donator, uh, and uh, you can read all about that. Now, one in, in particular, during the time that the robot collected uh, money at the Dundee Science Center, only collected $43, so I don't think a particularly successful uh, fundraiser is Donator, uh, but uh, read all about it. It's just sort of a fun techno uh, approach to, uh, to fundraising. Um, so next up here on the nonprofit coach uh, is, uh, again, you'll find this over in the radio links at tedhart.com. Click on radio links, and we have a report from the Association of Fundraising Professionals. Uh, this organization has just completed uh, their annual salary survey, uh, and after significant increases in 2009, salaries for charitable fundraisers in the United States and Canada uh, in 2010 reflected the, the general economic conditions uh, and were flat or were down. Uh, what they're reporting here is that the charitable fundraising salaries have stabilized across North America uh, after those previous increases. Uh, U.S. average salary respondents um, decreased by less than 1% uh, to uh, approximately $76,000 average uh, pay in the United States in 2010, uh, with an average pay uh, in Canada of now some $78,000. And of course, with the Canadian dollar being strong, it's those Canadian fundraisers that are making out on, uh, on the better end of the deal, according to the Association of Fundraising Professionals annual survey. Uh, and if you're a member of AFP, you can actually access the full report on the link available at tedhart.com forward slash, or, or look at, click on the radio links, apologize for that, click on the radio links and uh, you will be able to download the 2011 report if you are a member of AFP. Next up here on the, the nonprofit coach uh, is uh, a report or a notice from uh, Facebook Causes. Uh, Facebook Causes has recently launched a new Facebook page, a tab that helps nonprofits inspire their online supporters to give. More than 700 nonprofits have adopted the tab in the first week, uh, indicating just how excited nonprofits are about the peer-to-peer -peer fundraising of Facebook. Now, a little bit of uh, a uh, caution here as we continue to caution. Uh, Facebook, of course, we think is important uh, to the uh, to the nonprofit sector, but is not the most important uh, 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 approach to social networking. We do think that your website, LinkedIn, and GuideStar are far more important online services that you need to be utilizing right now than to be looking at Causes Facebook and even Juno uh, beyond that. Um, but we do think that if you're going to be on Facebook, you should be outfitting it uh, with the uh, uh, with the the uh, all of the services that are available, and that's why we're providing you with a link to the Causes tab for Facebook pages uh, that is now available over at TedHeart.com. Click on radio links, and today you will find all the information that you need to add uh, the new uh, Causes tab. Uh, for Facebook over for nonprofit organizations. So don't uh, miss out on the opportunity to make sure that you've got uh, the correct information. 
Um, and uh, so next up here on the nonprofit coach is just a little bit of a of a, a shout out. Um, if uh, you are following us over on LinkedIn, again speaking about uh, uh, about uh, uh, social networking, we do believe that uh, LinkedIn is a much more important strategy right now for uh, nonprofit organizations utilizing uh, social networking right now, and that is because of who is on the uh, uh, the the uh, uh, LinkedIn service, uh, and that is. Um, uh, the folks over at LinkedIn are hosting with us the People to People Fundraising uh, LinkedIn group. And the shout-out today is to all of the members of the People to People Fundraising LinkedIn group. And we've got 1,137 members as of this moment. You can join that group by going to the P2P Fundraising website, and in the upper right-hand corner you will find a link to the um, uh, to the LinkedIn group, and you can join right there. All you have to do is be a member on uh, LinkedIn. Uh, so next up here on the uh, on the nonprofit coach uh, is uh, uh, information, very important information, I think, uh, from uh, Google. There is, uh, and those of you who have been to some of my lectures recently have heard all about the new Google for Nonprofits program, uh, and we want to make sure that all the listeners of the nonprofit coach have that updated information, so let's take a listen. Every day, millions of people are online, many of whom want to help, volunteer, and donate to a good cause. Nonprofit organizations can use many Google tools to reach potential donors around the world and raise more money. And as an approved nonprofit, it doesn't cost a thing. It's all free. Google Grants helps you promote your website with free advertising on Google.com through the AdWords program. With Google AdWords, you create ads and choose words or phrases related to your nonprofit organization. When people search on Google using one of your phrases, your ad will appear next to the Google search results under the Sponsored Links section. AdWords allows you to target certain geographic areas, dates, and times of day for your ads to appear. YouTube for Nonprofits is another tool that can boost donations to your organization. The program offers a number of perks that get your message out there and drive viewers to take action and donate. You can list your organization on YouTube's nonprofit channel and add call to action overlays on your videos to drive viewers to donate. Need help analyzing your website traffic and marketing effectiveness? Google Analytics is a free tool that will give you rich insight and help you increase the number of people that visit and donate to your site. Google Analytics can be invaluable to many people in your organization, such as development directors, marketing staff, and your web team. There are many other tools that can help you reach more donors and raise funds, like Google Checkout, where you can process credit card donations with no transaction fee, Google Sites to create a free website, and Website Optimizer, where you can figure out the best landing pages to turn site visitors into donors. To get started, apply for Google for Nonprofits today. It's important that nonprofit organizations understand where the tools are, and google.com forward slash nonprofits is an important new set of tools that are available, particularly for smaller nonprofits, but not exclusively for smaller nonprofits. Check it out, apply today, and make sure that your organization is benefiting from all of the various services that are available on the web. We continue to be very impressed with the folks at Google who have taken uh, so much of their time and effort and treasure 
to put together a grouping of charitable uh, charitable services and tools that are available for nonprofit organizations. Again, check that out at google.com forward slash nonprofits. As we start looking uh, forward to uh, page two expert today, as I mentioned before, we do have Chris Cannon, uh, who is our expert today on page two. He will be joining us live, and so can you, by calling in to 347 3243080 press the number 1 to raise your hand to let us know that you are interested in asking a question uh there is some indication that there might be a problem with the call in line today have no fear you can also join us over in the chat room uh at uh, tedhart.com for and click on the radio links or you can just email me your question at tedhart at tedhart.com next up here on page 1 news is just an early notice mark your calendar buy your greeting cards what will you be doing on social media day social media day is presented by mashable uh, you can uh, find out all about it and find a local celebration uh, near you by going to tedhart.com clicking on radio links and you can find all the information that you need to help you celebrate on June 30th and gather together with other social media enthusiasts. And this, of course, is sponsored by Mashable. And there will be a number of meetup sites all throughout the world. Uh, we can see a number of them on the map uh, in North America, uh, Europe, uh, in the Middle East, Asia, Australia. Uh, and I also see uh, it looks like there's one over in Africa as well. So plan early uh, and uh, join the global movement for social media by celebrating Social Media Day on June 30th. Next up here on the Nonprofit Coach, as we uh, look to wrap up our page one news today, uh, is a, a really strong uh, shout-out to Jonathan Grapsis. Uh, Jonathan has done a really terrific job, and we're providing you a link to his blog where he has done an analysis of the Greenpeace UK website. Uh, and this is really terrific, because, and one of the reasons why I think it's terrific is because it follows very much a lot of the tenets that we talk about on this show in terms of what's important important for your nonprofit website to succeed. And I like how, how succinct he is uh, in saying that your website needs to be focused, it needs to be clean, it needs to be easy to use and easy to navigate, uh, and it needs to have a feel that uh, it matches the mission of your organization. This is nicely done. Uh, and uh, take a look around uh, uh, Jonathan's blog as well. He's got some good stuff there. Bravo. Keep up the good work. Uh, uh, Jonathan Grapsis, uh, and thank you for joining us uh, here on the Nonprofit Coach with your blog and sending that along. Don't forget, here on the Nonprofit Coach, uh, every week uh, here on Tuesday, we always start off with page one news. That page one news is put together from people all over the world who email us their favorite links and stories that they think should be covered here on the Nonprofit Coach. If you come across a news story or have a report that you think is relevant to the nonprofit sector, then it is relevant here on the Nonprofit Coach. Send that along to tedhart at tedhart.com. We'll analyze that and our producers will put it in the show, uh, the next appropriate show, if they feel that that is a good match. That is our page one news today. Uh, I want to thank everyone for joining us. And as always, when we wrap up page one, we move right on to page two.
here on page two today, we have Chris Cannon, CFRE, and it matters that he's CFRE, an executive's guide to fundraising operations, principles, trends, and tools is his book, as was announced last week uh, by Susan McDermott uh, over at John Wiley & Sons. This is a book that is part of uh, the AFP Wiley radio s- or a book series, and therefore he is our guest here on today, being AFP Wiley Radio Day. Chris Cannon counsels higher education, healthcare, and other clients around the world on strategies to improve fundraising. He focuses on fundraising operations so that his clients can leverage resources and processes to raise more money. As a managing associate at Brenswelly Flesner's Advanced Services Practice, Mr. Cannon, uh, areas of expertise include strategic planning, fundraising systems, operations, staffing issues, database and technology management, business intelligent reporting. In other words, this guy just knows his stuff. He's got lots going on. He is the author, as I said before, of the Executive's Guide to Fundraising Operations. As I said over on page one, this is a very important show because this is about being efficient. This is about getting it right and understanding how your office should run. We've got the expert on that topic. And welcome here to the nonprofit coach, Chris Cannon. Thank you, Ted. I appreciate being on the the, uh, the news hour here. Can you hear me okay? Yeah, it's, oh, it's great. Yeah, I can hear you fine. You're uh, coming in loud and clear. Thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, this is, of course, uh, an important show for us in that uh, once a month we have a partnership with the AFP Wiley Book Series, uh, and this is uh, AFP Wiley Radio Day. You are our guest today, and you've written a very important book that has been praised in many different sectors uh, because of the depth of knowledge that you bring uh, to the nonprofit sector. Tell us a little bit about why you felt the sector right now, uh, and certainly maybe why you thought AFP Wiley uh, book series uh, chose to designate you as one of the key components of learning in the nonprofit sector by writing this book. Sure, and uh, first I should say I'm humbled uh, that AFP selected the the topic in, in the book, and secondly that they chose me to to write uh, on this topic area. There, there are lots of experts around the country, plenty of folks that I around the world really, plenty of folks that I've met with uh, and learned from, and and so this is a, a bit of a, a group project. Uh, although I, I fortunately have have my name on the, the byline for the book. Um, you know, the, the, the background in this, Ted, I think is, is a, a, the confluence of a few things. On the one hand, we have uh, fundraising increasing, the, you know, despite the Great Recession and so forth, $300 billion or more in, in the U.S. Uh, generated through philanthropy, increased uh, professionalization and sophistication of fundraising efforts over the last few decades. And while all of that's been happening and more and more $100 million-plus gifts and so forth have been coming in the, the, the doors of some of the biggest nonprofits in the world, we also have uh, tens of thousands, even hundreds of thousands of new nonprofits that exist compared to even a decade ago. And then the last issue is we have this amazing technology and, and backdrop of things like Twitter, uh, things like Skype. You know, when, Ted, when, when I look at how impressively you've worked the nonprofit coach into all of the different channels, uh, I, I know I need to do more myself, right, and I do this every day of the week. Uh, there, there are just so many technology options available. So given all of that, given all of those, uh, the, the confluence of those three things, the thing that I find over and again is that operations within fundraising can be an Achilles heel uh, of some of our nonprofits. And, and this is 
for small and medium and large. This is for healthcare and higher ed and social services and, and uh, educator, uh, uh, environmentally focused nonprofits. It it is uh, ideally something, and, and this is a metaphor I used throughout the book. Uh, ideally, it's something that spins like a top, and it spins so well and so smoothly that the the executive director, the president, the chief development officer can go out and meet with with board members with confidence and not worry and not have that nagging feeling that something back uh, in in the office is maybe not going so well. So that that was the the crux of this is I, I believe that AFP saw that operations is is an issue because there are so many more uh, nonprofits, there's so much more fundraising. And there's so much more technology and, and just business process overall, sophistication, if you will, to throw at how fundraising occurs uh, that, that we needed to have some, some work at, at, that, that would help parse out what's important and what's not. And if I may, real quick, I'll just tell you one other funny story to me was that uh, the good folks at AFP really initially had wanted to title this a complete guide to fundraising operations. And I push back on that because I'm not sure there's enough paper in the world to have a complete guide on fundraising operations. It's a complex area. And I just wanted to provide what I hope are some timeless ideas on how fundraising operations could be most readily addressed by executives so that they can go out and raise more money. And I think that is important. One of the things that uh, uh, I was I struck by your your book, and I and I do want to come back to your comments on on social media in just a second. But when when I was reading your book, which is excellent, and and our listeners should definitely uh, go to uh, to Amazon or to the uh, AFP. Uh, website uh, to get a copy of this book as soon as they can. I, I found it interesting that uh, both in the beginning of the book in uh, uh, in, uh, in chapter two and then later on in, in uh, some of the later sections uh, where you were talking about tools for fundraising in chapter seven, that you, you always led in the same way. You led with data and then talked about technology. Um, and in, in both instances, it was the, exactly the same. And of course, I happen to agree with you, but but why did you choose to lead with data and follow with technology? Sure. One of the things, and it's a central tenet throughout the book and, and throughout all of my work uh, in, in this profession, is that we need to make sure that the means and the ends are in the right place. And in many cases, our relation, in all cases, our relationships with our donors, the donors themselves, what we know about them, that's a little higher toward the ends than it is a means to an end. And the technology in many cases is more so a means to an end, which is changing some. And I, I'm, maybe I'm a dinosaur here, but uh, the social media is, is certainly changing that a bit. And here, here's what I mean by uh, the, the means and ends being in the right order. The technology that a small nonprofit has will not necessarily be as sophisticated, and it shouldn't be, as, say, a, a Big Ten university. Yet the data that they need is relatively identical. It's who are they? How do you contact them? Why do they care about your organization? What if, how have they behaved? And, and what sorts of, of giving and, and event attendance and advocacy behavior have they exhibited? Those things are, are preeminent no matter if you're an international organization with 100 offices or a three-person shop uh, in St. Louis, Missouri, really working all ends of, of the entire spectrum of, of the development shop. So that, that's the reason that, that I drive data, that I put data first, is that I think data – is is not exactly an end of itself, but it represents the ends, which are it represents the donors and what we know about them, or the prospects and what we'd like to know more about them. And the technology is is a tool to poke and prod and massage how we build those relationships and, and ideally raise more money. Well, and I, and I appreciate how you've really put the focus on relationships because there always seems to me in any clients that I work with that there's really there's two sides to technology, and I'm not sure that 
that the average nonprofit necessarily gets either side uh, right uh, because they're so focused on the technology itself. What did I buy? Did I do I own this company's software versus this company's software? As opposed to really taking a step back in terms of what do we want this software to accomplish, and then find the right solution. Because I, I, while there are really some very high-end, expensive uh, software solutions, and there are some uh, low, low-end and, and, and even free solutions that are available, um, I don't think that any of them have a lock on the market as being the right choice for every single charity. I think that there is a right choice but it needs to be a thoughtful consideration. And what I mean by two sides of it, um, and I'd like you to, to reflect on this as it relates to your notion of uh, relationship building, is there's the data that you have or the data that you're collecting on the, on the donor that needs to be readily available and also connected to the relationship that you're looking to build. But then there's also the data of all those prospects that you don't have relationships with and how do you overlay that on your fundraising plan. And I, I think, I don't know if it's just getting overwhelmed with data or not necessarily understanding that the, at the heart of it is the relationship, not just the data itself. Yeah, absolutely. And, and as an example, uh, in the healthcare field, uh, since the, the passage of HIPAA and the allowance of, of using uh, grateful pay or you know, patient contact data in a HIPAA-compliant uh, way to, to build relationships, one of the things that we see over and again is that there are some successful, maybe less personal, uh, more direct response-focused uh, programs out there around, around the country for sure. Um, but the ones that really seem to have leveraged all of that data, and in some cases, you know, the big academic medical centers, we're talking maybe 250,000 new, new constituents a year, hypothetically. Um, the, the ones that have sifted through and found the right couple hundred uh, was, were also not just doing direct response activities, but at very people-driven uh, strategies, and typically things like physician referrals where, where the physicians are comfortable with that, or uh, an, an opportunity to be in person, you know, in the cafeterias and maybe even on the floors of, of the different hospitals around the country. So to, to your point, there are all of these data points and there's all of this noise. And one of the, the things that I really hope that this book does, and, and really my counsel over and again, uh, and perhaps if you folks might call in and, and confirm this on the phone, uh, my counsel has simply been that we, we have to set it and forget it. We have to train people and trust them to do their job. We need the floor, the foundation of, of the data, the technology, the process to work so well that you can look up and out towards your donors, your best donors, towards your best prospects, towards your board members, because that, that you know, 4,000th uh, data point on, on a person, you know, number 4,000 in, in your, your, your asset screening will probably never be visited unless they already had a relationship, right? And, you know, maybe you'll get to the first couple thousand uh, if you're a pretty big shop. So there's all this data and all this noise, but I think the, the, the crux is how do you integrate some people-focused fundraising and strategies while never losing sight of the fact that through data mining and other things, you might learn something. You might be able to seize on an opportunity. But one of the key messages in this book and, and overall for operations is that data shouldn't be for data's sake, right? Data ought to be the relationship. It ought to tell you the story. And if you can leverage that story and, and build a relationship and, and raise more money, that's why most of us are on the phone today. 
Yeah, well, and that's and, and that's what really struck me about this book, and that's why I wanted you to be on this show because because you get it, um, and and I think that there's there's not a lot of folks out there who get the fact that just because there is a lot of data and you have access to unprecedented amounts of data as a fundraiser now, I mean, there, there's never been a time in the history of fundraising that you've had access to so much information, but it shouldn't be overwhelming. Uh, and I think that because there is so much information, we lose sight of the fact, and the point that you just made is that the successful operations are those who are able to data mine and prioritize who they should be talking to as opposed to data mining for the purpose of just getting bigger and bigger lists. How many people can I email? How many people can I direct mail? And that is not the path to uh, to successful relationship or people-to-people based fundraising. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and if I may switch uh, directions a little bit uh, on this in similar vein in terms of, of count and headcount and, and that sort of thing, one of my colleagues, Justin Ware, who's a real expert in social media, uh, he and I have been talking quite a bit about Twitter in particular and what do followers mean and, and how do you engage folks and is it better to have 10,000 followers yet nearly no interactivity or 500 followers and lots of conversation. He, he uses conversation quite a bit as a way to differentiate between you have this many followers, you have this many fans on your, your Facebook page uh, versus how interactive is that. And, and that gets at this issue between the ends and the means that the the means are Twitter's fantastically powerful. Facebook is uh, dominant in a way that is uh, a little bit a little bit challenging. I write in the book about uh, you know boy where did where did MySpace go? Sorry if, if, for those of you who like MySpace, but they've lost market share <laughs> at an alarming rate. Uh, and, yeah, now you're dating. So the reality is that Facebook and Twitter will probably be around for a decade. But boy, I mean the the technology moves so fast and the opportunities are so fast. And you could therefore using this technology have thousands and thousands of, of quote unquote friends or or followers. But what does that mean? And and how do you actually engage those people and convert them into not just followers but donors, not just donors but people who might give you a planned gift in thirty years? Exactly. And, and what is that step-by-step process? And what I want to – we're going to take a little bit of a, a station break here, uh, Chris. And when we when we come back, I wanted to explore a little bit further this notion of fundraising operations and how it relates to uh, what you refer to as trends, fads, and staying ahead of the curve. And how important is that to fundraising operations, or is this really just a meat-and-potatoes kind of business? We'll be uh, right back after the break. We want to thank the uh, wonderful folks over at Geronimo.com. If you have not checked out Geronimo.com, make sure that you do. You can find the link over at TedHart.com. Click on Radio Links. Geronimo.com is a totally new concept for nonprofits. Geronimo links your organization to the highest quality vacation rentals in the world. It's simple. Your donors book one of the vacation rentals that Geronimo provides free of charge to your organization. The owner has already agreed to donate 50% or more of the rental to your organization. The folks at Geronimo.com have already done that work for you. You don't have to go out and find these great rentals. They've already done it for you. If silent auctions or live auctions has been successful for you, you're going to love Geronimo. So start turning spare weeks into big donations. 
all you do is ask your donors, your donors uh, to book their next vacation at Geronimo.com. All vacation rental owners that have posted to Geronimo.com, so when you go to Geronimo.com, those are live opportunities. They've already agreed to donate uh, at least half of the rental, sometimes more than uh, half of the rental, uh, to charitable organizations, and that could be your organizations. What a great concept. Spare weeks become big money for your organization. Visit Geronimo.com to learn how you can unlock big donations Please ask about the private label solutions that feature your logo, the logo of your organization, your look and feel. Really terrific job over at Geronimo.com. These are folks with a lot of experience in the real estate market. They know where the best rentals are, and they're making them available to the nonprofit sector. Check it out over at Geronimo.com, or you can also go to the radio links like all of our other links, and you'll find it highlighted today uh, as our highlighted website of the day over at tedhart.com. Click on radio links, and we're going to head back to the show. we're back and I want to talk to you uh, more about fundraising operations and and where sort of these cutting edge uh, opportunities really fit into uh, good operations. I tend to look at topics like uh, like social media and all the other changes about the website and the internet um, as efficiency building tools but for for some of our senior executives who have been around for a while quite honestly for a lot of their career, and I mean decades of their career, there wasn't an awful lot new, maybe a new database here or there, but it was sort of slow to come to technology. And now all of a sudden everything's moving so fast and you've got all of these offers and all these suggestions and everything seems to be affecting everything else. What is fundraising operations today? What's sort of that meat and potatoes? Yeah, so uh, kind of two ways to answer this. And the, the, the fundamental way is that I look at operations as, as uh, through this metaphor of a spinning top, and in that top, the post, right, the, the spinner, the thing you hold on to to spin, are your people. Uh, the better your people are, are in, any, in anything, the better. Uh, you need to have folks that understand what they do, that care, uh, and, and that, that try hard and, and do a good job. Along the, on, on top of the, the spinning top, you have things like your data, how much do you know about folks, what don't you know, and should you. You have technology, and that might be your donor, your donor management system, but it could also be your online community. It could be uh, lots of other types of te- technological issues that certain organizations need, and, and some don't. Uh, third, I find that reporting and getting data out of those two things through your technology of, of your data it is vitally important if you're an executive. The better your reports, fundamentally, the, the more you have confidence in the rest of the operation. So uh, if you're listening to this and you're an operations professional wondering, uh, how can you in- improve the perception of your work? Start with reporting. And then the, the fourth issue, which is, can be enormous, uh, but I tend to, to view it as a, a series of processes and program support, Get processing is always in operations. Um, the opportunity to do donor stewardship and, and donor relations may or may not be prospecting. Prospect development tends to be uh, data maintenance overall, and, and then, of course, report creation and all of these other parts that I sort of mentioned that have a process to them. So fundamentally, the, the meat and potatoes part is, if you're an executive and if you're an operations professional, if you just really, if you're vocationally drawn to philanthropy and you thought of your organization's operations as a spinning top, 
Uh, how, how does it spin? Does it worry you? Is, is the, the top wobbling because maybe the data are, are too light and you just don't know enough? Maybe your technology isn't very well utilized. Maybe it's actually the, the table that it's spinning on, right, the environment. Maybe the environment is slanted and bumpy. Uh, I, I joke occasionally, maybe the environment is on fire. <laughs> and uh, that, that obviously has an impact on your operations. But if you think about those, those are the meat and potato components of, of all operations. And the one-person shop to the 1,000-person shop uh, dealing with, with advancement and fundraising development, they, they all have to deal with those issues. The additional way to, to look at the, you know, sort of beyond the meat and potatoes, I, I think, gets to your, your important question about, you know, how do you develop efficiency from or usage of these new tools and trends and, and that's where I, my, my, my typical advice is get your top spinning well enough that then you can slowly add these new things on. Uh, and where, where I see organizations that have really su succeeded with, say, uh, having uh, apps for events, it's because they're already pretty confident that they know how their donor database holds gifts. So they don't have to worry about those things, and they've, they've been able to move on and move up and add. Add to that. So, using your Add top to metaphor, um, sure. where, where, uh, what are the the topics? Uh, specifically, uh, thinking in terms of uh, of your terrific book and the trends, fads, and staying ahead of the curve topics that you know so many executives really have to tackle these days. What does that do to your perfectly spinning top? Well, I think what it does is it it takes a it, it those things are for lots of organizations, critical, mission critical, and going to continue to be. But for a fundraising executive, often the development and the initial application of those tools is a bit of a distraction. And what I mean by that is that, you know, take, take any, any uh, great new social media tool like a, a Twitter, if the major gift officers, if the operations teams, if the event teams are trying to figure out how to get messaging out, uh, you know, annual giving and that sort of thing and, and creating these conversations among your constituents, that, that certainly is, is a, a good idea. If your chief development officer is not meeting with the board chair today so that he or she can delve into new tools should work like a, a Twitter, um, I, I, I find that just as the wrong way to, to apply resources. So what I'd love to see is a fundraising executive that's willing to delegate these interesting, potentially really valuable new tools and say, I need to be disciplined and focused on probably about 100 people who are going to give the vast majority of our money this year that are going to make the vast majority of policy and administrative decisions on behalf of the organization that I'm, I'm so committed to, and give me an update. Give me a show and tell. Let, let, me, let me participate, but not as someone who is – driving decisions because I think that the uh, the meat and potatoes, again, of fundraising operations are relatively straightforward. And so far, so are the meat and potatoes of fundraising, uh, meaning, in, and you, you make this point, Ted, over and again, which I think is, could never be said too often, it's people-to-people -people fundraising needs to happen. And you can do some of that in the social space, but there aren't a lot of million-dollar gifts coming in through social media, uh, not yet. I found it interesting, for example, when Mark Zuckerberg, announced this $100 million gift, he did it in person, right? There were some, some tweets about it. There was some Facebook uh, information about it. But he, he wanted to, to do that wonderfully generous uh, experience live and in person. And I don't think there are lots of donors who uh, in the five, six, seven, eight, nine-figure range that are yet 
too comfortable making purely online, uh, digitally, relating you know, digital relationship giving. Uh, I think is important. Uh, I'm just not. I'm not convinced that the fundraising executive can't ignore. Not even ignore. I'm not convinced that they they can be distracted yet by some of these new tools. And instead, they should be ideally fed a steady diet of here's how we could apply this strategically. What do you think? And be able to weigh in and not develop. Does that make sense? Yeah, well, I think I think it is all about the the timing and the phasing and how you're use, utilizing this in an overall strategy, as opposed to sort of the shotgun approach. And what I see a lot, and the questions that I ask, get asked are sort of bolting on Twitter and bolting on Facebook, and and hoping that just by saying I've got a page or or yes I tweet, but I don't really have a strategy and what that means, that somehow that's going to generate something of good to to the organization. Um, and it's not likely to. Um, it needs to be part of, a, of an overall strategy. We do have uh, an email question that just came in from uh, Leslie uh, in Toronto, um, and she's wondering where stewardship fits into all of these discussions. Good question, Ted and, and Leslie. Um, actually, I write, I write about this in the book. I, I almost always tend to include it in operations, and almost all of my colleagues in, in a stewardship role around the country and in, in, in Canada and Australia and, and Lebanon uh, don't. They, they tend to view it as more of a, a major giving activity. And so where I tend to draw the line on this is we, we have three, three types of things that operations can have an impact on in kind of decreasing order. The high tech is certainly operations uh, in, in terms of, of uh, maybe using uh, online pages to thank donors or to engage donors uh, related to their, their own giving. Uh, and I'm thinking of honor rolls and things of that nature that, that you might put on the web. Uh, a second would be high volume, and those tend to be, uh, I consider, for example, gift receipts uh, to be the first step in a long, hopefully long, long line of stewardship steps, and that tends to be within an operational uh, purview. The third is high touch, and that's, that's where the stewardship folks tend to uh, really have a, a, a position of, well, we're not exactly operations because we mostly do high touch. I think the most important, it's a hard way to put it, but probably the, the most impactful work of a stewardship team is in the high touch, but the highest volume, the most work is actually in these high volume and high technology areas, getting essentially all of the other details for gifts, say, below whatever the number is, 1000 bucks, to spend like a top. So you can spend lots more time on $1,000 or more gifts. And so that's, it's, a funny, it's a funny point because in the book I, I made it clear that, that this is my opinion. I, I tend to treat stewardship as an operational component, but it certainly has so much relationship building and in-person, personal touch, uh, high-touch activity uh, that I can certainly see where lots of organizations uh, have it in, uh, it, you know, reporting to the major giving team and that sort of thing. Yeah, and it, but but I, I I tend to agree more with you, which is probably why I, I I like this book in that, you know, stewardship tends to be viewed as only a small. Uh, segment of the donor base is really do stewardship, and I, I think it's much broader than that, and I do think that social media provides a lot of opportunities to draw attention to those good acts of philanthropy and to to provide an extra measure of uh, of stewardship uh, to uh, uh, to the gift, and not just in an honor roll sort of listing way, but in much more of a human way where content can be provided that can actually be shared uh, throughout social networks. And, and I think where a lot of charities 
go wrong with social networking is they view it all about what am I posting, um, how, how mm-hmm. am I utilizing these tools, as, as opposed to thinking more broadly about how might our donors and, and a broader market view our information, how might that be shared? Sure, and, and to that point, I, I took a look at about 10 um, academic medical centers around the U.S. this week on their, their Twitter, Facebook, uh, and YouTube video content, and it was, I'm Ted, you're the expert here, but I'll, I'll just tell you what I, what I experienced was that um, the, the places that seem to have lots more friends, lots more followers, and lots more views tended to be very much a here's content you can use and not very much a here's our marketing content just displayed in a different medium. And, and so to, to your point, I think that the conversation and that interactivity is one of the, the, the critical ways that donor stewardship can leverage social media tools and not have it simply be we'd like to invite you to an event, um, but to, to use, the, use social media as a way to ask them what they'd like to see in the event or ask, you know, give them, in, you know, very simple in, in for a lot of organizations to improve the, the online event registration experience so that you actually know who's showing up, um, which is always a hard thing uh, to get folks to tell you. But if you can encourage people to tell you this and give them a reason to, then that event would just be more meaningful and then you'd have something to do with the data after the event uh, and after that, that great experience that they have through stewardship. Exactly. And, and, I, and I'm not surprised with what, what you've learned. I, I think that there's there's so much of a fear about what social media means and how I can't control it that it, it kind of comes in, in a, t- a couple of different uh, forms. One is I'm going to ignore it and hope maybe it'll go away because I don't really understand it. Uh, another is I'm going to really lock it down and we've got to control it. The other is we're just going to be very passive as opposed to really kind of being a mix in that social media requires you to be social too. It can't just be the information you want others to use. You need to be willing to pay attention and engage. And if you don't, that's okay, um, but you're not going to benefit from social media. There, there really isn't a, a halfway house uh, for charities who kind of sort of want to be social um, because the, the, the whole nature of Twitter and Facebook and LinkedIn and all the various social uh, networking is that those who are proficient, those who could become your biggest advocates, will see right through that. They'll see you as a social phony. Yeah, I, I find it semantically clever that sometime in the history of, of developing the terminology for all these brand-new tools that no one even knew about uh, six years ago, that social and media were put together. It, and the reason I find it semantically clever is that uh, because it's digitally social, it is, in the classic sense of being social, it's, it's, it's a misnomer, right? It, 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 the two, two words shouldn't go together. Yet what it's done is reflect uh, something I, I think I read in, in your most recent book on the Internet, which is it has allowed us to realize that it, it sort of, in a way, doesn't matter what the, the, the current generations think about fundraising uh, 40 years from now. It matters that nearly every person who will be giving gifts 40 years from now is plugged in, and they feel socially connected because they look at their Blackberries or iPhones or Droids in a way that 20 years ago we would have thought, well, that's, there's something social about looking at a little device and communicating with people who might be across the room and you're not even speaking. Um, 
Right. I, I find well, it, and so, you know, predictions so very early on with the, with the internet is that they would uh, draw people apart. That you know, people would be isolated um, if they were using the internet. And and in fact, what we've seen is that through social networking, through social media, uh, whichever uh, phrase you want to uh, to use, the the root of it is social. Uh, and it's the ability to connect to people, things, and causes that you care about. And what I always share in my lectures is that it's almost as if social media, uh, social networking was created uniquely for nonprofit organizations because this is what we've always done. And now we have the digital interconnected way to uh, to do exactly what we've always wanted to do, and that is connect people that are like-minded, who care about similar things, to come together and to make great things happen. Yeah, and absolutely, and as an example of this, at least anecdotally, I've seen and I've had others comment to me that LinkedIn as a social networking site geared toward professionals, uh, it really is, is heavily leveraged by, by nonprofits, so both for professional interaction and, and networking, but also for things like prospect research because, you know, it, it, you know Ted, Ted and I, we've, you know, if you look at our LinkedIn uh, information, we essentially have our bios in the, from a, a professional standpoint on a site that therefore gives you the story of our at least career. And then if you're a relationship builder, you could probably find a couple launching points to, to build a relationship off of some new information that, that you've, you've gained. So, of course, there's some privacy issues. There's some, person, uh, some, some personal issues of how does it make people feel. Um, but it's likely not going to go away. And so I do think that nonprofits need to – seize the, the day, make sure they do it in a way that doesn't distract from raising more money from their current current base and so forth. But, you know, I, I don't think we can ignore any of these tools uh, like you mentioned. No, no, absolutely not. Chris, I'm, I'm just going to take the opportunity for our listeners. Those of you who are new, you'll be hearing this for the first time. Those who have been around for a while have heard this before. But since you just brought up such an important point, I want to drive that home by reminding our listeners of our five pillars of social media success uh, that first being a well-designed website, easy to navigate, full of unique content of your organization. The second most important online uh, tool for nonprofits today, I believe, is GuideStar. And the third being LinkedIn, followed by Facebook, Causes, and uh, uh, Juno, and then Twitter. And, and, and not necessarily in that order, but mostly in that order uh, in terms of importance. And that the reason why I share that so often is, first of all, I think it's true. Second of all, it's also about phasing these things, that not everybody's going to have all the tools up and running all at once, and it's not even a matter of just building it. It's how you use it and how you build it around relationships. And what you just said is so important. LinkedIn is an incredibly powerful tool uh, for nonprofit organizations, particularly uh, for prospecting because of who uses that site, and that's high net worth individuals, foundations, and corporate executives. They're there, and that's what's important. Chris, I'm just going to share a, a few uh, upcoming uh, notices here for uh, you and for our listeners, uh, just to uh, note that uh, on Earth Day this year, we uh, announced the launch of a new monthly magazine. Uh, so in addition to the weekly nonprofit coach radio show, uh, we uh, now have a monthly nonprofit green show. Uh, and this month for May, the green show is this Friday, May 20th. Uh, you can find all the information at tedhart.com. Click on radio links, and you'll be able to find all the information about the Green Show. You can also find it as a partnership with 
greennonprofits.org, and so you'll find everything posted there as well. Uh, and green tech expert Jim Lynch will be on the show uh, this week. And a little bit of a hint for all of our listeners who may want to listen in uh, at uh, uh, 1 o'clock on May 20th, this Friday, 1 o'clock Eastern, someone is going to uh, get a $100 Kiva credit this Friday. So listen in. Next week here on The Nonprofit Coach is one of our favorite, favorite nonprofit uh, uh, supporters, and that is uh, Kendall Webb will be here uh, from JustGive.org. Uh, terrific, terrific website, one that we uh, feel that all nonprofits should be aware of, and so Kendall's going to be bringing us up today on what's latest and greatest of online giving, and that's May 24th next week uh, here on The Nonprofit Coach. Chris, I, this book that you've written is is really, it's, it's so succinct and it's so uh, easy to use. It's also sort of a, a nice little side that you know that you can carry along with you, or of course, uh, it's available on Kindle as well. But this book could not have been written ten years ago, could it? No. And actually, while some of the principles I suspect uh, are are immutably similar for decades and decades, uh, at least half of the content didn't have a, a context uh, even a decade ago. So the social media components. The reporting components, the fact that almost everyone in, in a fundraising role right now has a computer more powerful than the one they had 10 years ago that happens to be in their pocket uh, that they can you know, look at while they're, while they're on the train for their commute. Uh, all of these things have potentially changed the way that fundraising happens. I, I, going back to that, that initial point, though, the reason for this book uh, is to remind folks that they want their operations to work so well, to spin like a top such that they can go and, and build relationships and be really strategic with their limited time. So that, that part hasn't changed, but the ways that you can become even more efficient and productive, more and more tools for that. Uh, and it's an exciting time and, and something that, uh, who knows, one of these days maybe uh, there will be a, a, a second version of the book um, because there will be so many new things to write about. Well, and that's what's so interesting uh, here on the Nonprofit Coaches. Of course, we cover all topics related uh, to the nonprofit sector, heavily focused on those new emerging tools and techniques of social media and online fundraising. But online fundraising, social media, website, uh, and the Internet affects every aspect of, uh, of fundraising. And if it's not integrated into everything that you do, then you are missing the opportunity to really add efficiency and, and isn't that really the, the sort of the heart and soul of, of what this book is all about in that you lead with data, follow with technology, you move on to reporting and processes, and, and of course, people, is that this is really about being efficient because uh, the fundraising operations today need to generate more money, and they're under pressure for budgets to do it with less. Yeah, so if if I would state it directly, I would say that every person in a fundraising and philanthropy organization, every person should try to figure out every day how could they generate the, big, the biggest return on their own time investment to generate more relationships and more dollars. And for fundraising executives, that, that tends to mean uh, making sure the operation works well enough that then they can go talk to their, their best donors and, the, and their board members. For the operations folks, of course, it means Take a look at this book and then you know, all of your experts and, and the technologies you're using and so forth and make sure that it's really leveraged and it's meaningfully leveraged, that it's not the, that the ends and the means aren't mixed up, which I, I think is from an operations perspective that you know, we, we hold the data database uh, sacrosanct in such a way that 
uh, we forget that we want to use that information and leverage it so that we can raise more money. Absolutely, and that's what's so important. Chris Cannon, CFRE, thank you so much for joining us here uh, on The Nonprofit Coach. This is a terrific book that you bring to us uh, through the AFP Wiley book series. I want to encourage all of our listeners uh, today uh, to go and get a copy of this book either on Amazon or AFP's uh, website as an opportunity, or I guess they can go to wiley.com as well. Um, Just uh, as we wrap up here, uh, Chris, tell our listeners – how they can reach you. How can they uh, reach out to Chris Cannon? Uh, the best way to reach me is at, uh, at through BWF.com, my, my company, Ben's Willis Western. My email address is ccannon, C-C-A-N-N-O-N, at B-W-F, that's boywhalefrank.com. Terrific. Chris, thank you again. This has been a terrific show. I love the book, An Executive's Guide to Fundraising Operations, Principles, Tools, and Trends, printed by John Wyland and brought to us by Chris Cannon, CFRE. Thank you, everyone. Have a great week. We will be right back here next week here on The Nonprofit Coach. Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.